0: Good evening, everybody, and welcome to episode 108 of the Lion of Vienna Suite podcast, Remains the University's Greatest Bolton Wanderers podcast. Uh, tonight, I'm Chris, and I'm joined by Will, as usual. Will,
1: good evening. Good evening, Chris. How are you?
0: I am excellent, thank you, mate. Excellent. So, how's your weekend been?
1: Yeah, it's been okay. A bit uneventful without football, but yeah, fine nonetheless.
0: It's better, isn't it? At least Wanderers didn't lose. Oh, I know, yeah. Make, okay. Makes a nice change. Makes a nice change. We're also joined by special guest Chris Flanagan of 442 Magazine. Uh, Chris, good evening and thanks for joining us. No problem. Good evening. Great stuff. Very very nice to have you on. Obviously, your, your, your esteemed um, news uh, magazine, I beg your pardon, has been, uh, been very popular with Wanderers fans on social media over the last few days. And so we'll <laughs> not touch on some of that storm as we've managed to get through things in a chronological order. So, with that in mind... We thought we'd tonight we'd have you on to discuss the, the main subject of the, the book you wrote, um, Who Put the Ball in the Munich Net, net which was a, a description of one just time in the UEFA Cup, which to all of us now have seen the present strife, seems like a, a million years ago. Perhaps, you, could you just give the, introduce the listeners to yourself and just give a bit of an idea about how the book came to be?
2: Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I've obviously been a lifelong Bolton fan going back to probably 1990s when I first started watching Bolton and... Uh, I mean, there's no doubt that those those two seasons in Europe were the highlight, you know, of, of my time and, you know, I'd imagine most people's time following Bolton. It was, it was just two remarkable, two remarkable seasons. Um, so, I it, can I, it seemed like something that, uh, I mean, I've been a, a journalist now myself uh, for 14, 15 years, so it seemed like something that, you know, it would be really interesting to write about and... And yeah, it, it proved to be, you know, obviously it's, like so I said, I went to every, every European game, home and away, kind of, uh, so I had those memories myself, and, and kind of spoke to a lot of uh, the players and managers involved as well, as part of the book, and it, yeah, it was, it was fascinating, and I, I love writing about it, and I hope people enjoyed reading it.
0: No, I certainly did, uh, I've got a copy here, and i got a copy when I go away as well, to take, to, to remind myself of happier times, I mean, I, I look back through some of, some of my notes from, from back when I got, in fact, I managed to get a, a pretty good copy, uh, sent through, um, <laughs> and when I was writing more frequently for the website, when we used to get things like that before everyone, uh, everyone fell out with everybody. Um, oh, no. <laughs> and it, was, it was a it was a cracking read. I mean, harking back, I remember that the the the, comp, the the anecdotes you were telling about uh, Nicky Hunt talking about Nick JJ Kotcher in the nip, uh, and the, <laughs> the behind yeah. the scenes fight between uh, Speed and Maytay. I wonder if you could perhaps enlighten the listeners on on one or two of those and anything any particular favourite moment or conversations you had with players, because it's always good to hear what what these people are like face-to-face, especially yeah. during the time where at the moment we don't really know a lot about the, the current team. You know, There's not a lot of media um, intrusion or I mean, media interest, I guess, going that deep into the experiences. I guess that is a, a, a sort of symptom of, of where we are in the league and our troubles at the minute. But anything that stands out to you? I know it's been a, a few years since, but uh, very interested to hear what you think. Well,
2: I mean, the first thing to say about it is, obviously, one of the... When I started writing this book, I mostly wanted to include, you know, the players and managers that, that were involved. It was, it was really telling how, how many of them were just, you know, really happy to talk about it. I mean, obviously it was, for for, for most of them, it was one of the highlights of their career. So you're talking yeah. about happy times. But, yeah, I did get a real sense that, that so many of them j- just enjoyed talking about it. And, and still, you know, even the ones who, most of them had left Bolton by the time I did, I did these interviews. But they all, it was, it's so apparent, they all... I had so much love for the club. I mean, you go you go through the long list. I mean, you know people like Juve, Stelios, Nicky Hunt, Kevin Nolan, Allardyce, Fastay, and, and a lot of lot of other Henry Pedersen, So many, so many of them. You know, in fact, all of them. You know, you could you could really tell that kind of love they still have for Bolton.
1: Um,
2: I remember having having a good hour's chat with Nikki Hunter about it all, and you know, like you say about uh, but JJ, I think that was the League Cup's uh, semi final after the <laughs> celebrations after the Villa game. I think at, at Villa Park and things like that. And um, I mean, yeah, I mean, one of the ones that stands out for me was was Juve because he he does you know, he he still doesn't do that many interviews really, so I wasn't quite sure whether you know my chance of actually getting to actually get into him. Um, yeah. But he was at Leeds United at the time, so I I contacted Leeds. And I got an email back pretty much straight away saying, um, "LS Doof has, has, has uh, just been told about your request. He's just stood up in the Leeds at uh, Leeds canteen and told all the other players that he's a legend at Bolton." <laughs> 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 and he said that he'd be delighted to do it. So yeah, I ended up kind of a, a week or two later having a million hour with him at the hotel at the stadium, and, and, and you know he was great. He had, he had such great stories and and you know when you see he, when people like that who, d- who don't necessarily do a lot of media interviews who were so happy to talk about it that was quite
0: telling of just how special that time was was to all of them really uh, and I, again um I'm speaking to you once or twice in, in my own life he's an absolutely fascinating guy how, how did you find him because oh, i was a bit unsure the first time i ever spoke to him. the first time i ever spoke to him was on the night out <laughs> like a lot of people <laughs> bumped, bumped into him on the various pubs and clubs about in uh, in town uh, I found him to be really engaging, really generous with his time, just complete opposite to the opinion that you probably expect most football fans would have of them, man.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, like you say, he, he comes across as someone that, if you gave him in the right mood, he's great. Maybe if you don't get him in the right mood, he, he could be quite quite a bit different. But uh, but certainly that day, you know, he turned up, he, he seemed very happy to talk. I mean, like I say, he, he didn't, by no means did he have to do the interview at all, really, because, you know, yeah. he was busy with his own career at that point. But no, he, he came down, um, and and he was he was just giving me loads of loads of great stories and uh, uh, and yeah he 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 was he was, re- he was really good I mean, he was a better talker than I expected actually and it, mm. he was probably one of the most enjoyable interviews I've ever done because he he was someone i think i mean I, could, I can understand across the country people people don't necessarily like him so much, but I think in bolton he's he's so popular and he's certainly one of my favorite Bolton players in terms of watching the club. Um, and, and for him to be then be so generous with his time and, and you know, be, be so
0: friendly and give such a, such a nice interview, uh, you know, I think that was one of the most enjoyable ones I've ever done, really. Oh, fantastic. Was there anybody that you wanted to speak to that perhaps you didn't, or you weren't able to, or, or, or maybe didn't want to talk to you?
2: Um, I think there was only one I can think of, and that was Sammy Lee. Um, and I, obviously, you know, I, I, can, I can understand that to an extent because yeah, time... True. He, he, he managed, obviously managed Bolton for the the H key games in the second, the first, first round of the second season, and obviously at that time things weren't going well for him and Bolton. Mm. only just about mm. got through. So for, for the other managers, it was you know one of the highlights of their career. It, even Gary Megson, which obviously turned out to be controversial in Europe, but at least he still had like Bayern Munich, which obviously he, you know, he, he was proud of, and so he was happy to talk about that, and, and classical Madrid, of course. Uh, whereas Sammy Lee, obviously, I think I think he just wanted to forget about that whole period of managing. Yeah, role, really. fair um, enough. So, yeah, he, he wasn't keen to
0: talk. But I, th- I think I think he's the only one, really, who, who didn't want to talk. Okay. Well, I mean, his reasons seem perfectly fair enough, and mm, I can yeah. imagine that, uh, that, had things have been different, I'm sure he would have been, he would have been obliging, but oh, just to give a bit... Just to give a bit of context, it was in June of 2005 when Juve scored that, that famous goal away at Portsmouth to send Wanderers into Europe. I was looking back, doing a bit of research. We do do a little bit of research every now and then um, to, to see There's the league table that season. So we finished ahead of City. We were sixth. We were level on points with Liverpool, who had won the mm-hmm. Champions League the year before. And we were three points behind Everton, who qualified for uh, for Champions League third, third round. We had a cracking squad. An absolutely cracking squad. Some of the players, I was like, yeah, who the Osseys are. Again, so not one that made a massive impact on Wanderers, but someone who had a, had a really good CV. Mm-hmm. Uh, the squad also contained Nolan and Gotti, Speed, Stelios, Henrik, uh, Ocotch, Gardner, Davies, Jaidi, Campo, Nicky Hunt, Hierro, Jufi, Yaskalainen, Vincent Candela, Tal Ben Haim, Vaz Te, Joey O'Brien, and Fariga, just to name, to name but a few. All the legends. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Well, when you compare him against some of the current markets, it's, it's just how how perhaps we didn't appreciate at the time what an absolute golden golden age we were living we were living it's a, through. It's a slight contrast. It is, isn't it? Ever, ever so <laughs> slight contrast. Um, it was a season that, if I recall rightly, that Samuel Lee le- uh, sorry that uh, Phil Brown left to take over at Derby, and mm. so that uh, that meant uh, Samuel Lee coming in, and Allardyce, of course was linked strongly at the time with the in- England job. He took an interview, and he was unsuccessful. Um, which uh, obviously had an impact on wonders as time went on. But mm. that meant we entered the UEFA Cup the year after for the first time. So we were drawn with uh, Lokomotiv Plovdiv, uh, 19,000 at the Reebok that night as we, as we won 2-1, Borghetti and Juve scored. And then an away win away 2-0 in Bulgaria. Now, I uh, I didn't go to the away game, but Chris, perhaps you could give us a few of your memories from that particular one down on the, seas- on the, uh, the seaside in Bulgaria.
2: Yeah, I mean, to me, that's one of my more special matches watching Bolton just the whole kind of experience I mean I, as soon as we got into the Premier League I, I'd always kind of thought if we could one day get in Europe that that would be fantastic and uh, it, it you know Bulgaria may not be seen as, as the most glamorous place for a lot of people but it really didn't matter in fact in, in no. a way it was it was it was a place that, that most of us wouldn't have been to before you know on, on holidays and stuff like that so it seemed so different and I actually quite enjoyed the fact that we did get somewhere so different and um, and you know, so certainly, you know, arriving in Bulgaria, it, you could you could sense the differences straight away. You seen horse and carts on the streets and things like that, and thinking, yeah, this is I haven't seen anything like this before. Um, but you know, the, then we went on to the coast, and the, you know, and and it was a very nice area that sort of way. I mean, then, but the city itself. I mean, we obviously, as you know, we played in in Borges in that first game because quite a distance from from Plovdiv, because um, obviously Plovdiv stadium wasn't wasn't up to it for the for, for standards and. Just, I just remember drive, on the coach driving into Borgas. It's kind of a quite an austere city with all these kind of uh, former communist sort of tower blocks, and, and yeah. thinking, you know, this is this is again is just so different to anywhere I've been before. And I imagine for most Bolton fans, it would have been the case. Um, and then the match, you know, was just a, an amazing experience. Just the fact, that, you know, there was. You know what? Probably around two two thousand Bolton fans there, in you know, in, in the middle of Bulgaria, it was just that in in its own was a, was an incredible thing, really. Considering you know we'd never done anything like that before, and I think Amir Khan was there and things like that, and and obviously you know we were two like you say we were two one up from the first game, um, and then they scored to you know to to potentially go well. They were ahead on that point on away goals. That's right. Uh... Um, and at that point, it was you know I think all of us there were thinking, oh no, this <laughs> this is good, this is going to be our, our European experience over in, in one game, which would have been mm. such such a shame. And obviously, you know, I, w- I wouldn't have been writing a book of it if that had been if that but had been. It would been have it been a lot. It would have been a lot shorter if nothing
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> else um, And and then just to rescue it in those last ten minutes, you know, with the the own goal and then no one scoring, it's just yeah. I and then that's that's. Ten of the best minutes of my time watching Bolton. Just the atmosphere in that away and when we turned it around and saved it and and went in. All the players celebrating with 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 the, with the with the fans and and obviously then what it what it led to over the over the next you know two two seasons
0: in Europe. Um, it, was, yeah, that was it was a hell of a place. For that. It definitely was a hell of a place. For that. I remember watching it coming up from work on Channel Five. I think it was. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that, that win took us through to the group stages. We had a tough group with Besiktas, Zenit St. Petersburg, uh, Gamares and Sevilla. Um, so, looking back through the the, the records of it, it, it wasn't the most sort of exciting uh, draw, but exciting to Bolton fans, obviously, because of the, the, the freshness and the whole entire experience of being in Europe. Now, results-wise, we had three draws and a win, and the win, I'll never forget that night, in, in unbelievable circumstances in uh, against Zenit St. Petersburg in the, in the rain at the Reebok. Uh, again, if you don't mind just giving us your... your Memories and your experiences talking to the, anyone who was involved, perhaps in those in those games, to to recall. It was one apiece against Besiktas with a goal from Borgetti. Uh, one nil against Senate, as I said, with a goal from Stelios. Uh, Gimarez one all away with Azteque scoring at the death, and then another one all with Severe at the rebound. This time with Bruno scoring.
2: Mm. Well, I mean, you look at those those teams really now, and in a way, it's that is a pretty hard draw actually. I think so. Mm. Mishik, Tass, Tassanis and Sevilla in that group. When you consider, I mean, maybe they weren't all quite at the same level now as uh, then no. as, they, as what they've gone on to. Intimidating play. places to go for sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, Bishop uh, I remember kind of we went there on the day on, on the kind of tr- chartered plane and. And, you know, there were so many warnings about be careful and, you know, obviously the Galatasaray Leeds thing had happened probably about five or six years before that where Leeds fans had been stabbed in the centre of Istanbul. So it it, it seemed quite a dangerous place to go at this time. And, yeah, we they definitely warned us other things not to do. And, uh, you know, we, I think the stadium is actually only maybe 500 yards away from this the, te- the central square. Actually. So I was back there a couple of weeks back, actually, and just walked down there myself. And But actually, at the time, it was so dangerous that they wouldn't let us walk to the stadium just 500 yards. They, they had to get us on a, on a coach and, and into the away in that way because they were worried about us getting attacked. Um, and, yeah, and then just to I remember the atmosphere, I mean, that's pretty much one of the best atmospheres I've ever seen in terms of a shake toss, and he, and that was when it was what twenty thousand, maybe twenty thousand crowd in a thirty five thousand stadium, so it was no one. Yeah, in there. Um, but but even with that, it, they were just it was just so loud when you compare it to what it's like in England, and they, they did this thing before before kick off where they had a guy on the pitch kind of orchestra orchestrating the fans, so that by the time the players actually came out of the tunnel. They're all bouncing up and down and shouting and, and it was so loud. And like I said, I remember speaking to, I think, Joey O'Brien playing that game. It might be one of the very first, very first games he played for balls I think he made his debut for memory, if yeah, I mean, if I'm a, right Yeah, thinking. he might well have been, yeah. And uh, I remember speaking to him about it and him saying, you know, how, you know, he looked around and, <laughs> and it was quite, quite a kind of bat of fire really going into that mm-hmm. atmosphere. But actually, you know, he, he played so well in that game and that, that led to, you know,
0: until his injury is a good career for Bolton
2: for him. Um, I think he played in the, he
0: played in the century midfield, I believe. Yeah, more of a yeah, holding yeah, role. I know yeah. he became Sinon must have been a, a right back for a lot of his period. His time up well, yeah, that was a, a fantastic debut. It must have been a incredibly intimidating circumstances because my my only my ever experience of Turkish football was all the old late nineties uh, watching United for example in Galatasaray. And yeah, that. Well, yeah. Welcome to hell and all that carry on. Yeah, well, it
2: was certainly intimidating. Obviously, it didn't quite. Um, you know, get violent in that sort of way. but you know, and Then obviously we got a draw out there, which I don't think the fans were expecting. No. Um, so they didn't react very well to that for the game, because they were protesting. I think maybe the team, team hadn't been doing too well recently uh, at the time anyway. So they were protesting and, and there's all sorts of little fires being set in the stands. And then all the riot police marched out onto the pitch. Must have been, I don't know, maybe about 100 riot police just marched out onto the pitch to try and Quell the kind of anger and stuff. So it was, again, we could, because the in all those away games in Europe, they they keep they keep the Bolton fans in in the stadium for about half an hour afterwards. So the, the whole the theory was the home fans would go home and then it'd be and then it'd be you know nice and quiet for us and safe for us to leave. But that night, no, the United fans were not going home. <laughs> so they were setting fire to the stadium. So again, you know, it was that was incredible really to experience that. I mean, there was probably about 500 Bolton fans there. And yeah, that again was for for you know for only our second trip was quite an eye opener really. Um, and then, like you said, the Zenit game was uh, was you know, I mean, there's there's just no way that game would have happened had it not been way for the for game. Oh, exactly. Or at least it wouldn't wouldn't have finished anyway. I mean, it, it might it might have started, but it certainly would have been abandoned had it been a Premier League match because it, it was just the the rain that was coming down and the, and the water in the second half. I think you, I can remember one point where kind of Stelios kind of fell over and almost got completely submerged
0: cause, <laughs> 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 the slide tackles um, going out going out of the play and all sorts of things. It was yeah, unbelievable. It was, I totally agree. Had it been had they not travelled so far, would it been awkward to rearrange? I'm positive you yeah. right. In, uh, have called
2: up? In, in actual fact, it, it probably suited us quite a lot, because Zenit were a very good team, we were actually you know, a good passing team, and it, I think that, that really kind of hampered their game that night. In fact, I think the only the only player who could cope with conditions was probably Arshavin. who mm-hmm. uh, was obviously pretty young at that point, but I remember him doing this kind of dribble through all the water and stuff and nearly scoring this fantastic solo goal in the last minute. I think Yussi made a great save. Um, but, you know, fortunately, we, we, we kind of
0: got the goal early on and and what it, it became very difficult for them to get an equaliser as, as it came wetter and wetter. Yeah, and you're dead right. I mean, looking back through their team, I think the only ones that I really recognise is probably Hagen, uh, Martin Skirtle, uh, Kuzakov, and Arshavin. So whilst they were obviously a, a good team in the league, there wasn't that many household names, I guess, in there at the time. Um,
2: Maybe not. Only... But yeah, I mean, to Certainly be honest... Some of those players did go on to do pretty well. I mean, you had, you had Anjakov was playing right back and Denisov in midfield, and, and, and those two and Kershukov and Arshavin were both were all key parts of the Zenit team that won the UEFA Cup, I think, two years later and also the Russia team that, that got to the semi-finals of the UEFA 2008. Okay. So, so, yeah, yeah they, they were they were a handy team. I mean, some of them were still quite
0: young, but they were, they were definitely a handy team. So, I think that was actually quite a big achievement to beat them. Well, our, our team was interesting that night. We had Jaskolainen. O'Brien in defence this time. Ngotti, Ben haim Gardner, Fay, Stelios, Nakata, Speed, Nolan and Davies, with Acocha, Jufe and Borghetti being the subs that came on. Um, but yeah, an unbelievable, uh, unbelievable night for for many reasons. So we managed to get through, uh, despite having what three draws out of four. Um we got we managed to take those six points which took us through to the last thirty two where we faced Marseille. Now I'll never forget the absolute injustice of that first leg. Yeah, with the mm. of at least one one penalty, which to my uh, to my mind at the time appeared to be absolutely nailed on. Yeah, um, and I think I think there was
2: arguably four that night. So I
0: think could 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 well have been. I think yeah. it was Abbiati in goal for, for Marseille. Um, included Frank Ribery was again rumored to be a wondrous target at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, again, Chris, over to you. I mean, members of either of those two games. I mean, it's it's uh, again to see how close we we were to progressing and to taking one of, a famous old European team right the way to the wire was was absolutely inspiring to see.
2: Yeah, I mean, like you say, again, you, you're probably looking at some players there, like there's any team, who were good young players, who went on to achieve an awful lot. you got Ribéry and Nasri as well was it was in that team. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think I, I remember, in terms of the penalties, I think the, the main one I remember was, I think Barthes was playing in, in goal for Marseille and absolutely hold, hold down Kevin Davis. Mm-hmm. and How that wasn't a penalty, I'll never know. But um, well, yeah, it was a frustrating night, really, in that... Um, yeah, I mean I think I think we probably had the better of it, We just couldn't score. Um and then yeah, we obviously went over to Marseille and, and that 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 felt like a, a real proper big match. I mean, that was that was our first game in the kind of the latter stage of the knockout. So you know, the group stage games were big, but you always sort of knew that well, you might have another game, that you could you know, if you lose this one you can you can maybe get a win in the next one. Whereas that Marseille game was you know, it was now or never for us basically and and, yeah. and going to a, a massive, famous stadium against a massive, famous club, and and it was it was really kind of I really felt proud for, as a Bolton fan to be to be able to do that, and, and it was just a shame that the, the obviously the, the game didn't quite work out for us. I mean, uh, obviously Stelios scored when Barca's dropped the cross early on, and, and at that point, you know, again we had the away goal. And Marseille needed two, thinking actually we could do this, we could actually we could, we could beat someone. we could got some Marseille and win. Um, but I think we kind of if if we could just held out to half-time I, I think we would have won that yeah it was a killer wasn't it the goal yeah. injury they, they scored in the last 10 seconds of, of, and I could sort of see it coming I think Bruno, Bruno Angotti you know, who was obviously a fantastic player for us just misplaced a header and it just set in motion an attack that you could sort of see that uh, players are a bit out of position. And I think it ended up with, with Stelios marking Ribéry on the back post from the cross. And obviously, Stelios isn't at all. They, I mean, Ribéry hardly scores any headers in his entire career. But uh, just scored the header just before half and at that point. Mm-hmm. That, that, that gave Marseille a lot of encouragement that, you know, they only did one goal at that point. Unfortunately, with, it, with Ben Aeem's own goal, he got it. Um, but yeah, I, mean, I just remember, uh, there was obviously a lot, a lot of controversy at the time with how how the BOM fans were kept before the game and kept in this sort of dark warehouse for like half an hour before the match. Because obviously how they treat fans over there wasn't wasn't very kind of um, advanced, shall we say. Certainly not by English standards. And yeah, it, it, was a, it was a strange place. I mean, you had all these big, huge perimeter fences that, that kind of block your view and stuff like that. So they've obviously updated that stadium a lot now. But it's, Although it was a famous stadium, it certainly felt a bit... A bit like an old, an old stadium at that point, and not, not, not impressive in the, in the kind of
0: facilities sort of sense. Anyway, not compared to its uh, 2019 equivalent. Anyway, again, Absolutely, I'm not entirely yeah. sure what the, what the area around the ground is looking like these days. But uh, the inside of it certainly had a, had a facelift, hasn't it? Yeah, so, yeah. So that's that. That did it then for the first, uh, for the first European Cup campaign in, in the 2004-2005 season. I realised as you were talking as well, Abbiati. I was getting the wrong season. That was. A- <laughs> Get my ears mixed up. No worries. Um,
1: I just want to just check as well. Uh, Will, are you still yes, there? I am still there. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm fascinated. I'm, no, I'm very much listening. It just seems like the sort of atmospheres which you just wouldn't expect um, in in today's sort of world. And I'm fascinated to see that. And had I travelled to that, you know, I would have been absolutely frightened to death and, and put off for life. Which. <laughs> Perhaps in hindsight, it might have been a good move, but uh, yeah, you, you know, well, I mean, my granddad travelled to, to both Bayern Munich and Atlético Madrid. Right, yeah. So, um, to to know that that's the sort of uh, experience that fans were fans were you know Ooh. sort of drawn to, were uh, it is quite frightening to be honest but uh, Yeah. Fascinating. Well, I,
2: I forgot to mention Gimares as well, which is again, there was like four thousand mm. fans going over to Portugal, and then and then equaliser in, in the last minute again was. That again. That was another moment. That was probably one one of the best moments of, of my time, you know, watching Bolton. That, the, that this kid from Portugal had, had come on and and scored this amazing goal with you know, so many so many fans there. It was, that was just a, such an amazing experience. I remember the, the square in the centre of Gimarash, with all all these Bolton fans completely taking over the place, and it, it was such an amazing atmosphere. And to be honest, that was with that was with four thousand Bolton fans in England are playing there against Holland in in the Nations League. And there's going to be. You know, have enough. Well, at least thirty thousand travelling fans, and maybe more in that
0: one. So, how, how that tiny place will cope with that many fans, I have no idea. Oh, I'm sure they'll will not make a noise equivalent to what the Wanderers fans did when that <laughs> goal went in. I, uh, again, that was an unbelievably spectacular goal from a player that, uh, unfortunately, never quite did it consistently enough and suffered, obviously, with injuries too. But what a talent he could have been on his day. Well, okay, we're well, moving forward. Then that was the, obviously a his first taste of European football. Um, the following season, and, and will I bring bring you into this? Yep. We're talking before about you know this is how it used to be. I mean, I was in the car today with my kids, and we were talking about football. Daughter was like, oh, "Why do you support Bolton? The rubbish." I was like, well, <laughs> Good I, question. I, I haven't always I, yeah, I haven't always been rubbish. You know, it's not that long ago that we were we were one of the top sort of six or seven teams in the Premier League for a consistent four or five year basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is what I'm moving on to. i at my very but sort of latest point. Was at the following season, Wanderers were um, were hoping to get into the Champions League because if you remember it well, that uh, Christmas time, December two thousand and six. Yes, we'd won five on the bounce, and we were third in the Premier League. So mm-hmm. what, half a season away from qualifying for the competition? Oh yeah, um, I'm wondering wondering if you have any particular memories yourself of that of that of that season or of what was to come after?
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously being fairly young in the in the grand scheme of things, you know, it's, that sort of a season was, was about as good as it got for me. Um, and mm. seen as at that point compared to how we are now. It was quite a spectacle. Um, I don't particularly have any specific memories from that season, although it 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 just you know I've I've read Sam's book quite a couple of times and the whole story behind Mm. that about how he was quite prepared to go into into Champions League football and then Gartz hired, sort of claiming that the club wasn't ready for it and and that we weren't going to go ahead with it. Uh, To make that decision for a football club, as much as you can challenge it, you know that there's obviously more to it and. I'm sure they knew the full story with to it, and, and I'm sure, Ooh. Chris, you could shed some light on it. It was one of those seasons which could have changed the the future of our club forever, really, and, and it turned out to, to perhaps be the worst thing we ever did.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think looking back, it still seems like a pretty great, great season to me. <laughs> yeah, no, of course. It's quite for, for Europe altogether, but yeah, I and mean, obviously we... You know, at the, at the halfway stage, you know, you're you looking at it and thinking, well, maybe we can qualify for the Champions League. And I just remember, I mean, that season was was when we were in the front three of of Davis on the right and Elka and Jew. And I, I think that that has to be the best the best front three that the Bolton have had in my lifetime. Mm, absolutely. absolutely, three incredible players. I mean, obviously, Elka was, was was sensational for us, and and you know, did a fantastic job and, and really kind of took us to that next level. I think. Um, so yeah, it, it was a, it was a shame or it or it tailed away. I mean, I think I think it probably was inevitable that we wouldn't quite keep up the pace if we kept in that first half of the season. I mean, we have to be realistic about you know what resources the the clubs we were up against were, and and obviously they could spend big in January, and obviously it turned out that unfortunately we couldn't that year, which like you say was ten. It turned out to be the point where where Allardyce kind of sort of made his decision privately at that point that he was mm-hmm. going to move on and. Obviously, then it came out towards the end of the season. Yeah, it was it was a sad time that he that he left, um, and, and worrying really because as as much as you know, Sammy Lee had worked at the club and it was liked by everyone. You know, I don't think anyone could have replaced Sam Allardyce at that point, really.
0: Yeah, it was it was a shocking departure, wasn't it? But I think he did right. the certain moments in that season that I'd forgotten about, and reading back of them, I mean, I remember the, the Newcastle away victory. And um, mm-hmm. being right up in the, the sort of second to last row there, and not really knowing who'd scored the winner until we we're on the bus going home. Um, what else did we have that season? We beat Rovers away one nil again, which was the week after the Newcastle Newcastle victory, the the famous Ivan Campo header with the, what felt like about twelve thousand Wondrous fans in it. Oh, that was it was yeah. uh, it was a hell of a season. It just makes you wonder, I guess, Chris, um, to come to you on know, this one. What might have been had allies had that extra bit of money? Um, Obviously, there was talk at the time as well about about certain players. Later, I know in the book you mentioned about Anelka to to United, which mm. came about the following season. But um, I, I think that's probably connected to some of the disappointment of Allardyce leaving because I guess he would have played a big part in uh, in signing Anelka in the first place.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's no doubt that once once Allardyce left and and things obviously the the, the season afterwards started pretty badly, pretty quickly. That Anelka was obviously going to look around at that point and think, well, you know. I'm a better player than a, than a Premier League relegation battle, and you know, he'd be absolutely right to think that, really. And yeah, I think I think United had to agree, or uh, From speaking to a member of staff at the time, that they and Elka told that member of staff that he'd he agreed to sign for Manchester United, um, and it was only a few days later that, that that Chelsea came in and 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 got the deal done. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I the funny thing, I guess, was that actually at the start of that that season, the. Uh, in the Sammy Lee season that actually Anelka signed a new contract um, but, he did, I remember it well yeah but I wonder now whether that was basically uh, you know you sign a new contract and help us out with a fee
0: but we'll let you go in, in January I think I think that's probably what, what happened there. yeah I think it makes sense doesn't it given the timing and the circumstances because I fully agree whilst he was playing, uh, playing below himself I'm sure he certainly benefited from an extra few quid a week to stick with us for another six months which works out well for everybody uh, okie dokie, so moving forward, at the end of that season, obviously Allardyce left um, the, the, the 2 all draw away to Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. Uh, Wanderers maintained the, the qualification for Europe, despite a, a fairly poor end to the season, and um, all the rumours that surround the Allardyce caused things to go fairly tits up. Um, OK, so in the next season, obviously Wanderers qualify for Europe again. Uh, Samuel Lee lasts until October when he's replaced by Megson. Uh, Leo, Lee took charge of the first game, Chris, as you mentioned before, against Babot of, of Macedonia. A late Abdul mate goal, I seem to recall. They're one all draw away.
2: Yeah, and um, I mean to be fair, that, that could have gone very wrong that night because uh, Bolton <laughs> played very badly that night <laughs> against a team that really should have been beaten. Um, but it was the sort of a point where they were playing badly in the league. I think they'd lost five of the first six games in, in the Premier League, so there was just no confidence in the team at all. Um, and yeah. They, they they went one 0 down and I think that Robin had a chance to go two 0 up which they probably should have taken. So it was, I think everyone that was there that night was, was starting to get very worried that you know we were on for a, a pretty humiliating defeat there. Um, but yeah, then Elka had, had a free kick that uh, the, the keeper made a mess of and thankfully May was there to kind of uh, get a draw. I mean a, a draw at Robin Hich wasn't wasn't amazing by any means, but it was
0: in terms of getting us through. You know, it, yeah, it, it, it helped us and and was was enough. It was invaluable. How did you how did you get to Macedonia? Was it uh, an interesting trip? Uh,
2: yeah, I mean, I, I, I attended for for quite a few of those early ones. I tend to go because they did a, a official travel where they yeah where basically the you in and out kind of thing. Yeah, so they, you'd you'd go to the Manchester Airport for like five a.m. <laughs> on the Thursday morning. You get an official club uh, chart flight straight to straight to the city. Have like four or five hours in the city. Go to the match and then. You go straight back to the airport and straight back to Manchester. So it's like a more or less a 23, 24 hour round trip, which was always a bit knackering, but particularly so yeah. <laughs> when you had I think I think I went to work the day afterwards as well, which is probably a bit of a mistake, but, <laughs> but i you was do on, gotta uh, do there. Yeah, I was at work on the Wednesday. I went to Macedonia for a day on the Thursday and then straight back at work on Friday. And to, but no, it was a fantastic experience. And again, it was obviously a very kind of poor place in terms of, you know, economics of the place. But, um, you know, people were very, very welcoming. And it, again, it was interesting to see a, a country that, you, you know, it's very unlikely you choose to go to on holiday. And It was just interesting to see what, what it was like. And, and like I said, people people were very welcoming.
0: All oh, right, sounds like a fascinating place. There's a couple of those away trips to come as well. We'll, we'll discuss more about the the, the sort of deprivation that you see, which is interesting to when you live in a town next door to Wigan. Um, but the group <laughs> the group stages saw so was drawn uh, drawn against Braga, against Aris Thessaloniki and Red Star Belgrade, and then of course Bayern Munich. Um, again, one just took a sort of fairly kind of pro uh, prosaic approach to those games with three draws and, and one victory. So Braga was one all against at home with chief scoring. Uh, Aris again, one all with Stelios scoring a very very late equaliser against his countrymen, The famous away win against Bel the Red Star in Belgrade through Gavin McCann, and then of course the the Bayern Munich game, which I suspect we both might have something to say about. But perhaps if you could just uh, just give us a your thoughts on on those four, if you don't mind, Chris. Yeah, well, I
2: say, like you say, it's funny that kind of we had the same same record in both groups, mm. three draws and a win. And actually, we we only ever lost two games in Europe, the two the two nights we went out in uh, in Marseille and in in Lisbon. Um, but well, yeah, I mean I I since remember the, the Braga game being quite disappointed with the crowd to be honest. I think it was quite quite a low quite an obviously, you know, I understand that the team team was struggling in the Premier League at that point, so the maybe enthusiasm wasn't quite as much as it could have been. Um but yeah, yeah just it,
0: slightly under eleven thousand yeah, according to official records.
2: So I I found that a bit strange really, that you know, this you know, Europe was was sort of the thing I'd you know, personally have been looking forward to for years and and it seemed like the pinnacle for Bolton as high as he was going to get, and the, the, a lot of people weren't there. But, yeah, that's, that was just, I mean, you're going to get that in cup competition sometimes, and I think we made a bit of a meal of that match really in the end, in that uh, we only, only drew 1-1. I think they got quite a late equaliser, and that, that seemed a bit of a worrying result at the time, but um, obviously that, yeah. that then led, led to Bayern Munich, which, you know, was, you don't need to tell me, you don't need me to tell you, it was, was one of the most amazing games that, uh, you know, any Bolton fans ever going to experience really. It was just to go to a, a club like that with such a history, to go to a stadium like that, which is you know undoubtedly one of the best stadiums in the world, um, To takes so many fans and, and to play as well as we did. I mean, considering the team we had out as well, I mean, you look at the team they had that night and the, the team we
0: fielded, you think, yeah. how much yeah. Did, yeah. did we get a draw with that team? An unbelievable mismatch. And if I may just, just read yeah. out the team. So, uh, we had Al Habzi in goal, Andy O'Brien, Sid, Mickalit, Ricardo Gardner, Nicole um, Alonso, Nolan, Guthrie, McCann, Bratton and Superkev up front. Their team, by comparison, Oliver Kahn, uh, Marcel Janssen, Lucio, Van Boyten, Lell, Ribery, Otto, Van Bommel, Schweinsteiger, Podolski and Closer. Not to mention Zero we who didn't get off the bench as opposed to uh, <laughs> Zoltan Harsanyi on our bench. Uh, so, so est- and Luca Tony on the bench as well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, the Tony who was included Came on as sub. Um, so yeah. So according to the official record, four thousand away fans in and among sixty six, uh, as opposed to the official count in the Braga game with thirty one away fans. So a bit of a sl- bit of a difference between the two there. And I just remember there being a phenomenal. Phenomenal day. I, I did the, the day trip there as well, in and out on that one. I've never been to Germany before. The game itself is is a bit of a haze, but, but what an <laughs> experience! Just going to the to the to the city itself, um, absolutely phenomenal experience, and one that I, I'll never forget. And I still pop out the old DVDs every now and then. The club had a bit of a spell of, of releasing the more memorable games on DVDs straight after, so those will be will be treasured forever, I think, as long as they don't they don't deteriorate and disappear. Um, but what an absolutely unbelievable place, an unbelievable team we faced, and. I remember just being over the moon that we even scored, and obviously we did score earlier on. The Gardner after eight minutes, yeah. and the famous the famous Davies equaliser on eighty-two, Chris.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, I, I've got to admit that to, to me that obviously the Davies goal was was phenomenal. Actually, the Gardner one was sort of mm. meant even more to me because it was so unexpected that, that we, you know, that we'd take the lead in, by a minute. Obviously, we, we went there, we weren't playing well in the Premier League, and the, you know, I think I, I think I remember Gary Magson saying. Saying to me that he, he feared we could get absolutely battered in that match, particularly with the team I out. So just the fact, the fact that we took the lead at, at the Allianz Arena against Bayern Munich was, I don't know. And obviously it was right down our end as well. Um, it was such an unbelievable feeling. I, I, to be honest, I think I think where we where we really made an impact in that game was the first 15 seconds because I think Bayern kicked off. They played it back to I think it was Van Boyten maybe, and Kevin Davies went straight through him. And from that oh. moment you could send us by and thinking oh, well, I'm not sure about this <laughs> this is gonna be, this they're not gonna just let us let us pass around them and, and win easily and from that moment I think we had them in terms of giving them a real game um and uh, you know Ribéry was sensational that night but I think a lot of the others we, we got to them and, and Kevin Davis did that a few times in Europe I think he did it uh, in the home game against Let's go Madrid as well I think he did something similar he went straight through one of the defenders in the first 10 seconds. And it's amazing
0: what difference that can make in terms of the, the whole other team looking around thinking, not sure I fancy yeah. that. It's, it's certainly a good way to introduce yourself on that sort of stage, isn't it? With a nice early reducer. I, I seem to remember his ongoing battles with, with Lucio that night. It was no shrinking violet at all, but I certainly don't think he'd ever faced that kind of physicality in, in the Bundesliga or anywhere else through the start of his career. Um, yeah. But yeah, Christ, I mean, November 2007, I, I remember as much as I can recall, like it was yesterday. Um god, it just seems like a million years ago that compared yeah, to what we have to put up with these days. It's scary
2: that it's twelve years ago, isn't it really? <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, frightening. It was only three weeks after that though that we faced Aris Thessaloniki at home again, another another poor crowd. We had ten thousand eight hundred against Braga, ten thousand two hundred this time. Um but however, compare that with thirty one away fans from Braga to nearly t- nearly a hundred times that with two thousand three hundred coming from, from Greece. I just remember the atmosphere that night. Being almost in stunned silence at the, in the Bolton end, watching the, the theatricality of the Greek yeah. supporters with the with the flares, with the banners, with the synchronicity and the movement. I mean, the game itself I remember being a bit of a, a bit of a, a washout again with uh, Stelios scoring very very late on. Mm-hmm. But but what an what an experience just to see the uh, the home stadium rocking in like rocking in that fashion.
2: Yeah, I mean, like like you say, they they were amazing as as the travelling fans, and I think I remember at the end, kind of maybe both sets of fans kind of applauding each other because we were just mm. so impressed by by their fans and and how much noise they make. And I think Greek fans are, are particularly good for that. I mean, I actually, I think we played Aris away in a pre-season friendly. I think it must have been the season that that, that summer afterwards. It must probably I think it was. Probably, yeah, probably kind of a built. You know, from that game, the friendship was built on that night, and and that was a friendly, and again. It, the atmosphere at Aris's ground was just sensational um, for a friendly. So it's like the, you know, I, I went out to to another game in Greece quite recently for, to uh, to Pauk in the same city, and again, it just seems the Greek fans, the the atmosphere they make is just brilliant. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I agree with you. I was so impressed by their fans that night. And. You know, really, they should have won. Um, you know, they they were one nil up. I think um, one of their players nearly scored from the halfway line with about five minutes left. That, that would have made it two nil. Um, Yussi made a great save again, and then, then Stelios kind of got uh, got the goal, um, which obviously rescued us. Because I think I think pretty much had we lost
0: that game, that was that was it. We were out. Yeah, uh, and the games came thick and fast as well. These were all within about a six week period. We um, started off in October against Braga, and we finished in the first week of December away to Bel at Red Star. Um, I, I didn't go to that one, but my uncle did, and his tales of being locked in that famous ho- hotel all day, being visited by the chairman, and, and being bought a pint for his troubles, and all this kind of thing, and coming home with pockets full of, of, uh, of, of money from the city as well that he wasn't able to exchange in advance, but wasn't able to change back because no, no one would do it. A um, Gavin McCann goal again made famous by the imagery, imagery of that game, but what was the stadium like there i mean that's always somewhere i'd, I'd love to have visited 45000 yeah. on that day apparently
2: yeah i mean it's um, it certainly wasn't full um, but it, again it's probably like fictitious and that even though it wasn't full it was still pretty loud for for large parts of it and the, mm. the main thing i remember is just we got a taxi down to the ground and and, and we were very worried about you know what was going to happen because I, think, I don't know if you remember but i think about 3 days before that they they, they had a they had a match in the league at home and there had been some violence, and a plain plain a cause police officer got involved. And one mm. of the Red Star fans had, had actually put a lit, a lit flare down his throat, which is scary. So we we'd read that in the news and thought, blimey, what on earth are we going into here? Um, and just going, getting the taxi down to the stadium and seeing so you know rows and rows of riot police with guns, and it, it must there must have been at least a thousand there, because they they were worried that if anything had happened that night, Red Star would have got kicked out of Europe. Mm. Um, and just I've never seen so many riot police in, in one place and thinking what on earth is this and then we said to the taxi driver just please just just drop us outside the away end and what did he do he dropped us outside the home end <laughs> <laughs> so we, we then had to walk around the stage and kind of like not speaking any English in case anyone found out you know who we are just in case I mean it probably would have been alright but I just didn't want to speak any English and take the chance yeah. of people figuring out who we are and attacking or something
0: Certainly um, a, scary, a scary place. I mean, that, the, the team that night was, again, another interesting one, given the, the woes that we had in the league at the time. We had Al-Habzi, Hunt, Meite, Mikulik, j Lloyd, Samuel, Stelios, Speed, Andronic, Tamorian, uh, Will Elmson, McCann, and Daniel Bratton, with a, a late debut from j- a late appearance sorry, from James Sinclair. Uh, not so many familiar names in their team. I mean, Corriman was there, obviously played for Real Madrid for a mm. time. Um, but again, just to see Wanderers in that kind of that kind of, of uh, atmosphere, that kind of stadium, must have been something that you can you can look back on now and think, Christ, is it really that long ago?
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. It's a famous stadium. Obviously, Red Star won the European Cup kind of uh, early nineties, so it's certainly a famous name, and for us to go there, I mean. I, until last year, I think Arsenal won there last year. But until then, we'd been the only yes. Br- we were the only British team ever to win at Red Star Belgrade. Well, when you consider That's the right. amount of teams that have been there, that was, that was a hell of an achievement. I mean, it has to be said that, that the Red Star team we played with was
0: not very good at all. Um, no. even with our even with our reserve team, I, we were better. Than well, them. they lost they lost every single game in that group campaign. I mean, we only won one out of four, but we started up with six points. They were yeah, they were four losses from four. So yeah, clearly no great shakes. No,
2: but but. You know, that's, that still shouldn't take away, you know, what, you know, the fact that we, you know, Not so. a, club, a club like us to go to rest of grade and win, you know, we should, we should always kind of be proud of that. And, you know, it was, a, it was a fantastic night. And I just remember, I think Elias wasn't actually playing. I think they'd rested him. And I remember him, because um, Jouf, he was always, even if he hadn't done anything in a match, when, when, we, when we'd won away. He would always make sure he was the last, obviously, away fans to milk, milk the applause. Even even when other play, maybe someone else scored, a, you know, two or three goals or something. He, he'd always make sure he was the last to milk the applause. And he wasn't even in the squad that night. And mm-hmm. I just remember after the game, you know, obviously we clapped the players and you know, and we celebrated. And then Juve came over. At- <laughs> and basically got a bigger applause than everyone else and he hadn't even played <laughs> I, I seem to
0: remember him doing that in, a, in a, I think it was for Blackburn when he came to back, back to play at the Reebok one so it might have been Sunderland I can't recall Maybe so. yeah, he, did he, exactly, he, he did exactly the same
2: he knows how to melt the support you've got to give him that but yeah he, I think we
0: loved him for that. But, yeah. well, that was oh, particularly hard.
2: funny when he on a, on a night that he hadn't even played
0: at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, he certainly played in the next round on the 14th of Feb, Valentine's Night. I remember taking my girlfriend at the time to Valentine's <laughs> Night. <off>. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, go, he had a nice trip to uh, to watch Wanderers against Atletico Madrid and Jufi did turn up that night scoring the winning goal with 15 or 16 minutes left in front of 26,000. Uh, a game notable as well for Aguero's uh, little temper tantrum in the, in the direction of Matt Taylor.
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I remember kind of when we drew Atletico thinking, you know, I'd seen a little bit of Aguero playing for them. And thinking this guy, I mean, I think he was maybe 18, 19 at the time, thinking this guy is amazing. Yeah, not, not he, yeah. but even then you could sort of tell this guy is going to be really special. So I was kind of looking forward to, to, to seeing him play. So it was strange really in that I was a little bit disappointed because he was, he was a sub that night. And, mm-hmm. and so I was a bit disappointed at first that, that I wasn't going to see him play. And then, then they brought him on. Um, and actually i think i think uh, before he, he came on for about an hour and until that point we were absolutely battering them we we should have been about four 0 up and we just couldn't score again like marseille at home right. i think their keeper made a couple of great saves and, and we missed a couple of chances but then as soon as they brought him on that he was so much better than the rest of their team and he just they, they took over the game completely or and he, i think they nearly scored and then and he was actually only on the pitch 14 minutes but even that 14 minutes I was thinking this guy's good um, but then obviously the, the incident with Taylor happened uh, where he kind of spat in in the direction of Taylor. I mean I think he, he kind of claimed that it wasn't actually aimed at Taylor it was at the floor but we, you know, I guess we'll never know really it's one person's word against against the other and yeah we'll sure. certainly it certainly helped us we we'll take'll we'll take the red card because I think he was sent off and then maybe about 40 seconds later we went up the other, pit, other end of the pitch and scored and it was just a kind of wave of momentum um, and that again you know a full house, against the glass Madrid and to beat them. Because we 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 played like I say we played Marseille at home, couldn't get that goal and that cost us the, the the two years before that. So we knew we needed to win. And to get a one I mean a one nil win at home in Europe is you know, with the away goals rule is a really good result. So that that was a fantastic night to, to beat a team like that and give us ourselves a real chance of getting through.
0: They had some cracking players too, yeah Aguero came on for, for Reyes, formerly of Arsenal, Maxi Rodriguez you have gone to play for Liverpool. Uh, Portuguese winger Simao as well. Um, he made tons of appearances for uh, the national team and, and Diego Forlan as well. So absolutely no no mugs whatsoever. Um, again, it was with uh, with excitement, I suppose. Um, just a week later that we all made that trip to Madrid. I remember going there and and spending a, a fantastic day in a city again I'd never been to before. And that absolutely magnificent magnificent stadium, the Vicente Calderon, proper old fashioned concrete ball, mismatched stands with different shapes and sizes. Thirty thousand that night, so again not a full house, but you know decent three thousand away following. Um obviously we know some ugly scenes that came about at the end of the game. I remember on the, being on a flight home with a guy whose head had been split open in front of me, and his, his Wanderers shirt had been dyed pink because of the amount of blood that uh, had, had fallen. But Wanderers won. Uh, they won. They won overall, I should say. Nil-nil uh, uh, performance. Absolutely stoic uh, in terms of defence. Again, a decent team out. Not not first choice, I'd say man, man for man. Um, but Yussi Hunt, Andy O'Brien, Gary Cale, obviously signed that that year from Aston Villa. Jay Lloyd, Samuel Stelios, uh, McCann, Nolan, Jory O'Brien, uh, Mike, uh, Matt Taylor, and Kevin Davies. So subs being Juve, Campo, and Matey. Um, again, Chris, uh, a, a resolute performance, from one, just certainly not spectacular, but I do recall us having one or two chances that we, that we might have done better at. Um, it was quite an intimidating out there coming to Again, you know, without Aguero being there, but Reyes. Forlan and, and Luis Garcia being being three particularly dangerous opposite opponents.
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess the irony is that you know, looking you know, uh, eleven years on, that we did we did an Atletico Madrid on on Atletico Madrid, didn't we? Really? <laughs> that's that's what they've been doing to everyone else for, right. ever ever since then. But you know, they, they we basically shut them down. That I mean, for I'm sure if you're in neutral, that would have been one of the worst games you've ever seen because <laughs> there were not a lot of chances that match at all. But for us, that you know, that didn't matter at all. We we just needed a 0 nil draw out of it, and I think the four thousand Bolton fans that were there were perfectly happy to watch a 0 nil to get us to get us through. And I think Stelios maybe had a bit of a chance, but I think maybe Luis Garcia missed probably missed their best chance maybe from quite close in. But apart from that, you know, they didn't create much at all. We you know we defended so well that night, and again just that. I mean, obviously, at the time, Atletico Madrid hadn't done much in Europe for a while. But you look back now at what they've done in eleven years since then, and you think, well, we went there and and won, uh, or at least won an aggregate. And the amount of other British and and top quality European sides that that, that have have gone out to them in Europe since um, then—it's just made, you know, as the years have gone on, it's made it look
0: a bigger and bigger achievement, really. Yeah, it's absolutely magnificent. And what struck me looking back through all this was the, the the short time frame that what we had going on in the league as well, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, but it was only what ten or twelve days later, a fortnight on the sixth of March that we had that we entertained Sporting at home. Again, a decent crowd, just a shade under uh, twenty six thousand. On as we we took the lead against Sporting Lisbon, with Gabby McCann scoring the goal and our Simon Vucic an absolute favourite of mine from Football Manager 2007, the um, <laughs> cracking left winger, uh, about 500k. Um, he scored the equaliser with 20 minutes to go, which which hampered our our chances of progress. But again, it was another game against a, a storied opponent in, in European football, and um, where we probably should have done better. I mean, th- again, the team was was up and down because of the league fall at the time. Players we've not mentioned before, like Helgeson. I mean, Campo in there as well, Campo. He obviously he was there for the, such a majority of our time uh, in European football, but never really didn't make too many appearances in the competition for, for various reasons. Um, but again, some some decent players in there in their side as well. I mean, Veloso. I wonder if you could perhaps touch on him for a minute or two. He was. Seemingly forever linked we Wanderers at that time.
2: <laughs> well, wasn't Veloso the, the one that uh, that Megson said we, we wouldn't sign because it'd be like putting a tiara on a Shire horse? I think that was mm, the famous I call. But <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, no, he was certainly. I remember him being a top player that night, and then the, the two years after that, <laughs> where every transfer window we think, thinking, is, is this going to be the one where he finally signs? And then it never did. I think I think we might have missed that moment on that one. Now I think, I think he might not be too keen on coming here anymore. But, <laughs> no,
0: I'm not sure. Not too sure. <laughs>
2: But, yeah, I mean, like you say, again, we, we were definitely a better team that night. Um, we should have been at least 2 a up, maybe 3 a up the before they equalised. And you could just sense when they equalised the kind of the, you know, the, the kind of going out of a, a kind of uh, enthusiasm, well, not enthusiasm, but just it, it kind of, it, it swung the momentum so much, them getting that away goal. And there's such a huge difference between 1-0 at home and 1-1 because of that away goals rule. We knew we'd have to go there and score. Um, so yeah, I think that was the moment where, sadly, that you know, with with what turned out
0: you know, in the Wales game, that that Vukovic goal was the beginning of the end. Sadly, mm, it was. And interestingly, you can still go on the BBC Sport website and vote on your man of the match from that night. Which is right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> only, <coughs> excuse me only ten years later. <laughs> uh, so it was again a week or so after that that we all that we all tripped over to Lisbon, and again what an absolutely unbelievable. Unbelievable city, very similar to, to Guimara's, I should think, in, in respect to spending most of the day in that uh, in that big town square with the great big fountain and with the odd trip out to find enough license that still had some bottles of superbock that you would leave in the sun all day and still and still sup. Um, but uh, again, a, a sort of changed, Wanderer's side because the league commitments that night meant. Uh, unfortunately, the boys came up short, losing one 0 away. A, a proud loss. I mean, I still thought we played quite well that night, but obviously the, the, the focus was elsewhere.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's sad, really, when you look back at that game and, and you think, well, you know, that was the last 16 of the, of the UEFA Cup. You know, it, you could argue that's... In, well, it's certainly in terms of Europe, anyway, it's the furthest we've ever got. And it's probably one of the... You could argue that's one of the most high-profile games in Bolton history because of that. Yeah. Um, and it's still... I mean, it seemed crazy to me at the time, and it seems even more crazy to me now that we did what we did in terms of picking the team that, that we picked that night.
0: Um, yeah, when, just to give the I, listeners an idea, sorry for me to interrupt, yeah. Al-Habzi... Hunt, Kale, Mate, and Samuel. So nothing too outrageous there. But as you move into midfield, you see Joey O'Brien, Danny Guthrie, Andronik, Stelios, Fazte and Heide Helgeson with Daniel Bratton and uh, Nathan Wolfe. I think it's Nathan Wolfe, I think. I'm right <laughs> uh, Wolfe came on as substitutes in the last 20 minutes of trying to try and earn us a point. Uh, to try and get that to important away goal to put the advantage back in our favour. So no Jufe, no uh, Campo, Davies, Nolan, Speed. But God, you know, uh, Yaskaline well, obviously was out injured at the time, but to think of what might have been, because that was a season, obviously that Rangers got in the final against Zenit in Manchester, yeah, uh, and came up came up short with uh, with that in that famous final. But yeah, God, what might have been? eh?
2: Yeah, and Rangers beat I think Rangers beat Sporting the next round. Um, they did, so, that's yeah, right. I, I, I think we, we may well have been better than Rangers at that time, and certainly, you know, considering we didn't lose by much, even with the reserve team. You know, I, I think we could have won that game against Sporting, and I, I mean, I, I know from speaking to players that, that didn't that were left behind, people like Kevin Davis, how how gutted they were about that. You know, they they weren't glad of the rest by any means. They they wanted to play sure. in that match, and you know, obviously that that then carried over to them losing at Wigan on on the Sunday as well because players were really down about it. Um, so yeah, it, it it makes it frustrates me really that that, that was the way it ended. Particularly when we, you know, I think we knew at the time because Bolton were in a relegation battle that the the chances of us getting Europe again anytime soon were remote. And obviously, you know, now, you know, it it could be years and years before we get in Europe again, if, you know, if ever. So the fact that we went out in that manner, you know, when we we went out at Marseille, we'd we'd given it a real go, we'd done our best, and, you know, we hadn't quite made it. And you could live with that. I think the sporting, you know, the players who who played that night, like you say, did their best. They actually did, did. you know, do play pretty well, but it's just frustrating when you when you list those players that, that didn't mm. play that night and were perfectly you know fit to
0: play. That you we're, we were always going to wonder what might have been, and uh, I think that's a real shame. Yeah, I remember going to the Wigan away game that fell uh, fell immediately after which was obviously deemed to be the priority by Megson. The fact that we lost that uh, sparked scenes of, of almost unbridled anger in a in lot of sunburned and still on Wanderers fans. So. So disappointed, and I don't think I've ever met anyone, any Bolton fan that's ever felt like that decision that he made was was justifiable in any any regard. Because although you know uh, stability in football is obviously important, we're, we're all here for success. We're not we're not here to uh, to just merely, merely to, to survive. You know, we'd all go and support someone like Middlesbrough if that's all we we're interested in. Um, mm. the, the chance of glory that we passed up was the ultimate uh, the ultimate slap in the face, and certainly something that I've never never really managed to come to grips with because yeah. Just pretty, it's one of those things, isn't it? You know, obviously yeah, Premier League, yeah, fine. You know, you may go, maybe go down. You may end up back there one day. But the last sixteen of a, of a UEFA Cup um, competition, a strong UEFA Cup competition that we had, a our full-strength team would, in my opinion, have a decent chance of doing well in, was uh, was unforgivable.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, to be fair, I guess it, it, we weren't the only club to do things like that. I mean, no, yeah, not the, at all. did it stuff, but. But yeah, I, I, when I, when any club does it, I don't agree with it, and certainly my own club does it. <laughs> I definitely don't agree with it because you know you, you spend all season in the Premier League trying to qualify for Europe. To for us to qualify for Europe twice was a huge, huge achievement for Watford Wanderers, and then to actually you know having having toiled for twelve months to, to get into it, then not to really bother with it when you're when you're there and actually doing pretty well in it, just made no sense to me. Whatsoever.
0: Yeah. There was a big a big big argument at the time. I remember with Martin O'Neill I think was in charge of Aston Villa and there yeah. was a, again the same argument was put to him and I, and I seem to remember there being sort of ramifications for him and for his his decision making as well as to why he would fight so hard yeah. to get in and then fight so hard to get out it does yeah, well, I
2: mean I can I can understand the finances of it I and mean, undoubtedly there's more finances for staying in the Premier League than than, than you know, even winning the UEFA Cup but it, it comes down to what what is football about. What 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 are we yeah. trying to do? I mean, and what we're trying to do surely is to to win things and and to to do as as well as you can as a club. And once you you get to a point like that and say, well, we're not bothered, then I don't understand what 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 the purpose of the club is, which
0: is a That's crazy thing to say. Will you know, do you have any any, dis- any disagreements or any sort of advancements upon that? It seems crazy, doesn't it? That. Uh, that you'd you'd pass up that chance of success and, and immortality yeah, for the sake of for a little bit of, of
1: stability. I was going to say for the for the sake of you know securing s- something like that uh, on on national grounds, uh, domestic level. Sorry, um, it, it, is a, is too much of a sacrifice in my opinion for for what could have been on the European stage. The, the potential that the club had, I think on that on that particular level, was was something else. Obviously, we proved we had the ability to do it. Perhaps the reason that it, that it, that didn't happen was because you know, like you said, Megson left those players out um, for for that last leg, and it's it is literally just a case of what could have been um, had those players travelled, got in the squad, you know, and made a difference on the night. And again, you know, I like I said earlier, you look in hindsight and you think, what else could the club have been had that had that been a difference that night? And you know, mm. all right, Wigan's a relatively important game now in this game of things, but ten years ago it wasn't by any means. Um and, and I don't know anyone daft enough to to have chosen that over over the potential, you know, chance for chance for another Definitely chance at, at European success.
0: Definitely not. And I guess it's gone to show, hasn't it, that ultimately it was all a bit pointless because the relegation did take place, although obviously at a later time. Um and, and all you have to look back upon is, is what might have been not only this, but also the, the FA Cup semi final under Owen Coyle which which could have gone a very different
1: way and, and who knows
0: whether that sort of sliding doors moment might have been uh, it, it, kinda con- taking us further on than where we ended up being
1: yeah it's continually debated, you know whether where the downfall actually started you know a lot of people believe it, it was the Stoke semi-final but then you look at it f- from a, uh, further back and then you think well actually w- was that choice to, to sort of bow out of Europe almost voluntarily actually the the start of it all it's mm-hmm. it's one which you could definitely question even now so
0: yeah no as an argument for it um so Chris to move forward into sort of present times and I know obviously we've got your journalist hat on, but also with your, your supporters hat on. How have you viewed the last couple of years? We'll call it the Ken Anderson era. And from, from top to bottom, if you could just give us your opinion on, on what's going on, what's gone wrong, what may go right, and, and then we'll see where we are.
2: Um, well, I mean, it, it's been a. I think for the, for the first couple of years, it is strangely in that I think there was always a sense that things could go wrong at any moment never really a sense, you know, ever since Kevin Anderson came in that everything was all under control, but at the same time the the, the one thing he did do right was, was well for me anyway was, was was choose the right manager um, and that is the single most important decision any chairman will ever make, is choosing the right manager, um, and for, you know for two years certainly Phil Parkinson did an unbelievable job for the club and the, the season in League One, although you know, we, we, we all felt that Bolton Wanderer should not be in League One, you know, it was a it was a fantastic season in terms of the experience of it and, and how dramatic, you know, we, you know, we got promoted. And, and the last season, obviously, was difficult. Um, but, you know, it, it did give us that Nottingham Forest game at the end of last season, which was, you know, again, one of the most special, special days following Bottom Wanderers. Um, so, I, in terms of last season, I, I was perfectly happy just to stay up. I, I, obviously, I know a lot of fans are, are concerns even then about the style of play. Um I, I was OK with that in terms of just, just stay up that season, then consolidate this season. Um, and to me, it's it's gone wrong this season, really, in terms of it should have been a case of, you know, obviously the plan was to increase the quality of the squad. Um, that looked promising, obviously, for the first month or so. But I think, you know, we've looked back since and, and players that have left like Marais and, and Lafondre and such like, and we just haven't replaced them. Um, and I think, unfortunately, things have things have gone wrong on the signings that were made in the summer. Now, you know, all of them have done done the best. I don't I don't for one minute question the the effort of any of those players. Um, but the the quality just isn't there. And it's you know, it's been been sad to see it all season really as, as things have got unfortunately got worse and worse. And to to go to games now and and, and almost know that you're not going to score a goal and you're going to lose the game is is just so hard. And it's it, it, it's as as bad as, if you were losing, you know, five two and stuff. That would every week. That that would be bad. Um, but it's, it's to me, it's the sort of worst that you know you're not even going to score and have that enjoyment of you know at least having a goal to celebrate. Yeah, not um,
0: competitive, is it?
2: Yeah, so it's it's just become more weary as the as the season's gone on. As you know, it's been probably been. I'm, I'm trying to think. It's been a, a less enjoyable season at, at my time's point. and no, I don't think that's been really.
0: No, uh, Will, your your thoughts on that? I know we speak regularly on the topic, but yeah, it's certainly, it's certainly even the weeks off where you kind of don't you kind of forget how how bad we are. Yeah, you indeed, still yeah. kind of get things like this reminding you. Well, actually, yeah, we are rubbish. So
1: yeah, <laughs> it's it's not the most never ending. It's not the most pleasant reminders to have on a weekly basis. Almost a weekend like this, where where you've got the weekend off and you actually have time to think, and you're just like, yeah, it's actually all right when we're not losing every week. So. Uh, it, it's just depressing, like Chris said, to go into pretty much every game of every week. You know, and think, well, you know, we're almost concerned to to losing here, uh, and not really having a chance of, of getting out of such a a rhythm is 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 pretty uh it's pretty depressing.
0: No, I totally agree. I totally agree. So to the future, then, um, Chris. Obviously, there's been a lot of talk about what's what's been going on behind the scenes. I know we, we we've joked a little bit about a, a tweet that one of your colleagues at the, at the magazine put out. I wonder if you could perhaps elaborate that and give us the full truth. Completely betraying any trust or any sort of uh, promises you're giving to your friends.
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, well, I mean, I should I should say first of all, it's not it's not a story that I was personally involved with. It's, uh, it's very much one one that came from his contacts, so he's he's got more information on it um, than myself. Um, I, from for what I understand, there was there was a, a party that were interested middle of last week um, that looked promising, um, but I. have heard since then that that might have come uh, come and gone within 24 hours really so that but I'm, I should stress that I don't think that's the party that Mark Howells and, and mm. Alan Nixon are writing about now so as far I mean I'm, I'm reading it as much as uh, the same as you are now in terms of following Mark Mark's work on you know most of Mark's done a fantastic job in terms of covering the club for the Bolton News and so I'm, I'm reading reading his stories like anyone else at the moment so although this this, this other, other party that were interested might have gone away now you know middle of last week um, you know, from, from reading Mark's, uh, Mark's stories, it sounds like, hopefully, there is still another party that is still there, and obviously I'm just hoping, like you, that
0: uh, that that comes through and, and something happens. Fingers crossed, Will. Um, obviously, the latest is that we don't really know what's what, apart no. from the fact we've got an, impendi- an impending deadline to pay, mm. or for the prospective new owners, I should say, to pay. Um, to, to guarantee that we we avoid that points deduction. What do you what do you think is going to happen? Do you have any gut feeling or anything like that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I said on Wednesday, you know, I, th- I think the 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 few days that we've got until sort of this time, well, this weekend, where it was a bit of breathing space for everyone to to sit back and and think. Look, we've survived at this, but you know, we, we've got to look to regroup and make a plan. For, mm. Either way, for what whatever's going to happen next time round. Obviously, we're looking into into next weekend, and you're thinking, right? Well, we've got a deadline and a potential. Um, you know, choice to voluntarily dip into admin. Um, we've also got till Friday, I think that is, for, to 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 uh, to enter into mm. that. Um, and if not, obviously, then we need a plan for. Well, what's going to happen if not? Because come Tuesday, we'll be seven days from being back in the courtroom, or whatever. it is Wednesday, rather. And then, you know, we'll have to start making plans for that if that's going to be the, the more likely outcome as we get closer to that. And then me and Ian were obviously there on Wednesday and we sort of looked at it as a sort of you either pay or or else so, scenario. So I'm just hoping that it really doesn't get to that. And either way, whether we voluntarily dip into admin or, or a deal's done, I'm hoping that, that either way that's done because... It didn't yeah. sound particularly promising. if it's not.
0: Well, it's funny because we're actually sneaking ever closer, and it seems to be lost in the in the, the, the news a people... little bit. That we're we're moving ever closer to the end of the season as well. I mean, there's only what I don't even know how many games there's left. It feels like we've only got next month really to to play out. Obviously, we play QPR on on Saturday uh, on the thirtieth, and then we we've got what feels like about 400 games in April <laughs> uh, before the season finishes. Away at Nottingham Forest on the fifth of May, so. I guess if we don't if we if we don't take this um, this payment made in the next this, next week, there's every possibility that with a points deduction. Assuming yeah. it is twelve, as it appears to have been to other clubs in a similar situation, that yeah. defeat on on the thirtieth against QPR could mean relegation being confirmed.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, looking at the admin option, uh, that's obviously the the point option. You're thinking, well, perhaps you know that, that that's the ob- obvious answer, given that you know our season's already over. You know, I think that the chances of a of a last ditch um, survival hope have absolutely been shattered. I think that was mm. the case, you know, following the Wigan game. Um, so we can sort of just admit defeat at this point and just go, you know, look, we may as well take this option um, rather than allowing it to, to run over into next season because that's the last thing we want, given yeah. that, you know, League league One's a scrappy division as it is. Uh, and to have that added on on, on top of things obviously isn't going to help by any means. So, I mean, you asked before, you know, what what's my hunch on the outcome? And I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that that's the route it's going to end up going down because it looks like nobody's going to really want to buy us. So admin seems like the only relatively sensible option given that otherwise it's mm. pretty certain liquidation i, I hope it, it isn't but it does look like that
0: it's also an option that's befallen with it's got a lot of a lot of perilous moments along the way it's not a,
1: of course it's it's, it's an expensive or, or, option or, or isn't or a cheap
0: it process yeah most definitely um chris then to to sort of bring things to a close do you think that we can manage to, to sort of bring about another forest scenario another miraculous last minute survival case or do you think it's more of a, a question of us um, dusting ourselves down, maybe giving some experience to some talented youngsters we've got coming through, and, and making the best of it ahead of, of, of a promotion fight, hopefully in, the, in League One next season.
2: Uh yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's going to be very difficult now to to see any repeat of last season in terms of staying up. I mean, I think even without even without this situation going on, it'd be hard to see us staying up. You know, in the, given the point situation now and just the the form that the players are in. Okay. Um, so I, yeah, unfortunately, I, th- I think for this season, I've. I'd, I'd love to be proved wrong, but I, I can't see us staying up this season. It's just a case of somehow getting a takeover done, avoiding a point deduction, and and just praying that we can attack League One like we attacked it last time, and and, and you know and get out of it. Because there's, there's no doubt if, if you go in League One and you're only there for one year and you get promoted, it's actually quite fun. Um, but if you get if you yeah. get stuck there and things start going even worse financially, then you know we've seen what happened to Portsmouth and clubs like that, and we, you know we, we don't want to keep
0: dropping further. No, we've said before on the podcast many times. You know, let's not not forget that there were times in League One where it was great fun. There were also times in League One where it was a bumming slog as well. At the same time, so that it's not all uh, not all golden, uh, golden everything. But we'll see what happens. I guess we'll uh, we'll know more when we record the podcast next weekend. We'll and um, talk about the post QPR reaction. <laughs> Who knows? Hopefully we'll be looking at new owners and, and three points on the board by then, which would be an incredibly welcome welcome development at the club. Uh, okay, fantastic. So just to finish things off, Chris, it's been very uh, very enjoyable, very interesting listening to you talk about that. Um, people can still purchase your book online, I noticed, uh, Who Put the Ball in the Munich Net by Chris Flanagan. Uh, highly recommended for anyone with an interest in, in Wanderers or in, in football in general. It's certainly certainly something to, to kick back with on your holidays and have a, and have a read of on his sunbed and, and just remember what what it was like to be, for football to be fun, because, Christ, it seems like it hasn't been fun for a hell of a long time. So we're very, very grateful for you coming on there. Would you mind just giving people an idea where they can find you on social media to talk to you about wonders or anything else they may wish to?
2: Yeah, yeah, I'm on, I'm on Twitter at uh, CFlanning and FFT. So, yeah, by all means, feel free to, to send me a message on there. And, uh, yeah, I'll, so I'll be at QPR on Saturday and, and hoping that somehow we can we can get a result <laughs> and, and
0: uh, at least give ourselves a, a small chance. Fingers crossed. Will over to you for the closing,
1: mate. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, so you can find all our ramblings on the Line of the website, and uh, obviously the updates on Twitter. And potentially, if we get to the courtroom, then you can you can follow all those on there. I'm sure myself and Ian will both be in attendance should it come to that. Uh, obviously, you can find the podcast on there as well. And le- feel free to leave us a review on iTunes if you, if you feel generous enough. Um, Chris, where can they find you on social media, if anywhere? Absolutely nowhere, mate. Fair enough. That's a <laughs> great answer. find <laughs> <laughs> me on W I one L J. You can you can sort of have some sort of updates on on what's going on at the minute on there. Uh, if there's nothing else left to say, then it's time to say goodbye. Say goodbye, Chris Manning. Goodbye, Chris Manning. Goodbye, Chris Flanagan.
2: Goodbye. Thank you very much.
1: And it's goodbye from me, Set la, v